awesome. God, you are so good. I thank you, Lord, just for the joy of life. Lord, that in the midst of, of whatever we face every day, Lord, that because you are securely on the throne and you are a good, loving, holy God, Lord, that, that, that our, our joy is complete because you saved us, Lord. You redeemed us. You looked at us and saw us worth the great sacrifice of sending your only son. And so I just pray, Lord, that every day, whatever we face, Lord, that somehow we will be able just to step and step back and stop and, and root in to that promise of peace and the reality that it is now in Christ to, to, to really see the day, the, the joy of the day of our salvation. And that, that, is, that is something that you desire and have given to us for every day because that promise is complete. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, uh, just speak through me in this time, whether it's in spite of me or the words come out of my mouth. Lord, I pray that your work would be complete. Lord, I know that nothing could happen in this place if you don't intervene, if your Holy Spirit does not come and catch these words of fire. And, Lord, turn our lives, Lord, to your purpose. So, Lord, we surrender all to you. Let us go into this time with open, open hands, open hearts, open lives. And Lord, open minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open to Romans 12 if you can. Um, the scripture will be on the screen as well. Um, we also use the YouVersion Bible app. And if you click on the More tab at the bottom right, click on Events, you'll see us pop up and you can follow along there. Also, if you don't have a, a Bible and you'd like to use one today or take one home with you, there's a Bible near you under a chair um, that you can use as well. So we'll be looking at Romans 12, uh, 3 through 8 today. Um, and so this means that we are back in Romans. Um, if you're kind of new with us, if you, if you came through the Christmas season, we were doing an Advent um, series, kind of looking at, again, the coming of Christ is, seems appropriate for the Christmas season. Um, and, and, but before that, we were studying Romans, and we've been in Romans for quite a while now. We're going to be into it uh, for the rest of this spring. Um, but our last sermon that we had in Romans was uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And just so you know, like, again, if this is kind of new for you, we, we often hear, like, these referred to as books of the Bible. Um, but these are letters. This is a pastoral letter uh, from Paul to the church in Rome. Um, he's never been there, but he was integral in, in seeing it started by raising up other leaders who did go. He's got a lot of friends there. He cares about it. He knows what's happening. And he's writing this letter to, to tell them that he loves them, but also to encourage them and to work to bring unity to a diverse church in a, in a very diverse city of Rome. And you think about this church just like us. There's all kinds of cultural influences that were causing division amongst them. And, and Paul knew the only hope of unity would not be getting them to accept each, other, each other's cultures, but would be a right understanding of who Jesus is, the work he accomplished, and, and how he accomplished it. And then what their purpose was in God's redeeming work of them. So that's what Paul's working for in this entire letter, and it's amazing. So again, like I said, our last sermon, it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving from Andy. It was Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, and we see that as we were looking at that, by God's mercies, we're told to present ourselves as living sacrifices, being utterly transformed and transforming as in, in offering yourselves as a spiritual act of worship. So, so we think about it, as we are transformed people by God's mercy, um, we gain a clearer and clearer view of who we are because he created us and he's re he is restoring that. 
So today we're going to, like I said, look at Romans 12, 3 through 8. I want us to actually start in verse 1 just to make sure we have the right momentum and context into our text. And so we're actually going to read all of our verses right now and then we'll work through them. So read with me Romans 12, 1 through 8. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then here we are in our verses for today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than they ought to, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and have the uh, uh, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see in, in verse 1 and 2 that we're made new by Jesus. We are utterly transformed and being transformed. So now Paul is continuing. So where does he start? Where does he start as he continues this, this encouragement and teaching to us? And he starts off by saying, everyone. I want you to hear this. He's like addressing every single person in his audience, in our audience, and he's saying, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's where he starts. Don't think more highly of yourself than, than, than you ought to. And, and, you know, and maybe this sounds like a familiar brand of Christianity where it's just about kind of downing yourself and it's about, and it's about making sure that you are humble and low and, and groveling to the world. And, I want, and I'm grateful because the picture is so much more beautiful than that of what we're being called to here. And so, so yes, it is. Everyone, be humble. Don't think yourself more highly than you ought. And you think about this, like many of our problems in, in our world, and, you know, they're rooted in someone's elevated view of self. Sounds pretty current to our culture and world. Um, and it's this, this problem, this misunderstanding of, of self-importance. And, it's, and, you know, it's whether they think they, they know it all and are above it all and need no counsel because they have it figured out or at least can figure it out. Or maybe it's they, they think that they're the center of everyone's world and therefore everyone around them is meant to support their need and purpose. And again, it may be, it may be explicitly thought, it also may be underlined, but we see it played out in motives that this drives a lot of conflict from, from the macro to the very personal, right? Just from the, the, the cultural level to our personal relationships. And thinking of our personal relationships, even most interpersonal conflicts come when you only consider your perspective, we're only concerned with getting your way and your expectations met. I mean, like, when are you offended? When do you feel a need to address something? It's when something hasn't gone your way interpersonally. That's very, very common. So it's important that we deal with this well, and this is why we're being called to humility. So, so giving, giving room to being conceited or proud opens us up to a bigger danger. 
you know, thinking that you need no one is kind of where we're at, right? Thinking that you need no one, what, what, what's the danger of that? It puts you in a dangerous place of isolation. A few months ago, um, I sat with our elders in one of our elder meetings, and I just, I had come to this place of just kind of having this, this moment of kind of being confronted with kind of a, a scary reality of my life. And to no fault of anybody, but really, I just, I don't really know what it was that brought me to this place, but I kind of looked around and I felt like I was out on a limb. And what I mean by that is I felt like I was out there by myself, like in a precarious position with really no kind of guarding, with no safety net. And I, and I went to our elders and I was like, guys, I, I'm at a place where I feel like that I, I could go off the deep end and nobody would know it unless I told them. I feel like that I could easily just stray into sin or bad theology or whatever without someone knowing until it's too late. And so I was just, my, my point of this was telling them that I love them, I trust them, and inviting them and asking them, like, please dig into my life, ask me hard questions. If you see something, say something. Don't leave me to my own devices. And, and the problem is we look around and we often think around each other that, oh, they're covered. Someone else is doing this for them. Or, you know, something to that degree. And, and, you know, and sometimes we just put ourselves in that place. And it was probably a combination of all of these things. Again, I don't really know why I ended up there, but I just knew that I was there. And I knew that it was scary. Because I was just like, gosh, I mean, I have all these friends that have just had crazy, just destructive things happen to them over being isolated, over being untouchable. And so I just had to, like, it was kind of like, um, like just I was in the woods alone, and I just needed to find someone to be near that I knew I was okay. I, don't just, I, I just felt very unsafe. You just got a little glimpse. Um, uh, but yeah, I just felt unsafe, and I needed to get someone around me. So we, the thing is, is if we have any kind of room for conceit or pride, we end up isolated, and we end up in, in, in being vulnerable to, to destruction. Um, and so we, we have to see that admitting that we are, that admitting what we are not and what we cannot do is vitally important because it ushers us into the joyous place of being able to depend on others. And so this is why it's important for us to be humble, to not have too high a view of ourselves, because it actually brings us into the glorious, joyous, healthy, healthy, helpful place of saying you're not alone, I'm not alone, and it being a reality, of saying you can depend on others, you can and you need to. And so, but Paul doesn't stop there. It's not just about having a low view of self. It's also, he says in verse 3, he also says, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here, sober, it's exactly what you think it is, right? It's the opposite of drunkenness, right? And so sober is being right-minded. It's having accurate judgment. It's, it's being in touch with reality. Like this is what sober is, having a right view of. And so when we think about having sober, so we're talking about how we see ourselves. He says, hey, don't think too highly, but also have sober judgment in accordance with God's faith given to you. What he's saying here is this. He says, Paul is calling to the other side of our completeness in Christ. Yes, we are utterly sinful in greater need of grace than we could ever imagine, but yet there's another side. This, this warning is to make sure that we don't think less of ourselves than we ought to. Because after all, you know, we're created in God's image, right? We're created in his image, first and foremost, with, with that dignity. We did, there was fall and the rebellion and sin, and yet, and so yet, 
again, thinking about, we, we'll just think about what we prayed at the start. We were worth in God's love for us to pay the great price of sending his only son. We were redeemed at that cost. Again, is that worth, is that a reason to not think too lowly of yourself as well? We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, not just a snap of the fingers, by the blood shed of Jesus. We are endowed by the Holy Spirit. Again, we are given this gift to keep and to, to steer and to lead and empower. And so not just about being humble and, and not thinking too highly, but also thinking rightly that we see ourselves in view of what God has done. Understanding who we are and what we can do is important because it liberates us to be in a place to serve others. So we see not having too high of a view puts us in a place of being, being helped by others and having the right view of who we are in Christ and what he has given us helps us be in a place to actually help others as well. That's why it's important to think straight about ourselves, not too high or too low. We are sheep and we are shepherds. We get to be both at the same time. And in one conversation, I may be a sheep because this person is a person that has uh, a, a, a strength that can, that can speak to an area of need I have. And then I can walk over here and be in another conversation where I am shepherding this person through what God has imparted to me. That is the joy of the family of God and the body of Christ. We are sheep and we are shepherds. So as Paul says, to do this according to the measure of faith God assigned. And this is where it goes to something deeper than just I have to remember this. This is where it goes to something deeper more than just, okay, I need to be humble and also be proud of who God's made me. Like it's, it's more than just like a thought exercise. Here we're, here's where it goes deeper in this, this, this exhortation from Paul's teaching from God to do this according to the measure of faith God assigned. We do not want to make the mistake of interpreting this according to the measure of faith, that, that, that we will do this in accordance with the amount of faith we have. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's not about the, the quantity of our faith. It is, it is what this is saying is, is it doesn't, it does, and, and, and we can say this because it doesn't seem to fit the context, just, just literarily kind of message-wise of what Paul's teaching, but also the word itself for, for measure here is this word metron, which is the, where the word meter comes from, which is a standard of measure. And so what we're seeing here is he's saying, do so in accordance to the standard of measure of which has been accomplished by your faith. So I, I really appreciate how Tim Keller summarizes this. And so I'm going to, this is pretty, pretty lengthy, but it's, it'll be on the screen. But this is helpful. It says, all of you have been given your saving faith in Christ crucified, and that is how you are to measure yourselves. The gospel prevents us uh, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are sinners and all our efforts earn only judgment. And we are saved entirely by another's kindness. And the gospel prevents us from thinking in a more lowly way than we ought. We are saved sinners, and we are loved and valued in the gaze of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. So this is both humbling and empowering. Humbling and empowering. We often say the gospel is about about more than just whether or not we're going to heaven when we die. Like we, we here at the bridge, we try to remind each other of that a lot, and we and we we exhort and encourage one another to preach the gospel to yourself every day, reminding yourself of the great work accomplished in Christ in your life, and that is ongoing as He makes you new every day. Here we see that the first measure of how we see ourselves is the very gospel we believe. 
So we have to live, and it's not just living in re, like, gr- like, like grateful response. It is actually about living oriented to Jesus, living oriented to the grace you've experienced in Christ out of that reality is the invitation we have. And to do it, albeit imperfectly every day, but yet just enjoying that. And that's where we get to be humble and also like active in, in, in offering of ourselves, that we actually have nothing to give and something to give. It's just this crazy paradox that we get to live in in God's grace all the time. And so it's the and, right? It's lowly and purposeful. It's, it's nothing and everything because we have the riches of God's mercies and his eternal truths given to us. And we have the Holy Spirit. So we have to see that the gospel is important for more than just our salvation. It's also important for our understanding who we are every day and growing in him. So Paul continues to show us how we should see our transformed selves if we're continuing this thought. Again, you'll see that this is both deeply as personal, deeply personal, as well as communal, right? It's for you individually, but also for us as the people of God. Let's read uh, 12.4. It says, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So just first and foremost, like, we are unique. We're made unique. We're made special. Like, isn't that fun to hear, right? Because we're kind of like told we're not allowed to see ourselves that way today. You know, there's, there's kind of a, you know, we, we have, like, to know that we each have distinct gifts and abilities is so important for our understanding of who we are and what our opportunity and purpose is in this life. And, and, and think about, again, I was just saying that we, we, we hear that we're kind of not supposed to celebrate that we're special. Like, we're a church really full of millennials, mostly millennials, right? Um, and, and with that kind of m- the, the, the meme of the millennial culture is, is, you know, there's all sorts of just memes about it, and it's typically something about I'm special, I, I am unique, I have a, a, a unique purpose that belongs only to me, and, my, and, and it's all about that, and if it doesn't feed that, then I don't have to do it. That kind of, right, we, we hear that commentary a lot. So this teaching from Paul is so important in addressing this to, to, to liberate your conscience as well as focus uh, to have a right understanding of how, how this can be said with, with rightful integrity and, and view of who you were made to be in Christ. Because one of the cries as a generation is, is, again, I'm unique and special, and the other side says, no, you're not. Like, don't be unique and special. Like, work hard and all that stuff, right? So how does this help us? This teaching from Paul is it's important. It says, so your sense of uniqueness and grand personal atten- attention, he- here's where it goes off the rails, is when it's about your dreams being fulfilled or achieving your sweet spot for your ends and your satisfaction. Those things are fine, but they're not the point, right? Like, it's not just about your fulfillment. Again, what were you created for? What were you redeemed for? We're the we, to, so to understand this, that to think that, okay, I'm made unique, I'm made very specifically, but yet it's not about me is where it's important. This is where, again, the gospel comes in. We are, we are the same in the gospel. Both our need for a Savior, that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the mark of holiness, Right? And holiness is the absolute dead center bullseye of God's righteous standard. And the word sin, the word sin in the Greek is, is an archery term. And it describes anything from, from just a, a nanometer, that's, that's the right word, right? Nanometer, 
off of center to missing the board entirely. It's all the same in God's righteous, holy standard. And so we see that we are all the same in our need, and yet in our stand, and we're also all the same in our standing in the gospel, right? Because so we have the same need, and we also have the same deliverance and the same standing that we are seen innocent. So what we see is that we are distinct in how we are given each abilities of, of our own so that we can minister to each other. We are, so we're distinct in how we are given each, each of us are giving abilities of our own so that we can minister to each other. That's where our uniqueness matters. That's where when we celebrate this, what, what it should result in the trajectory of our lives and efforts being. Romans 12.5 says, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So once again, we are sheep and we are shepherds. So when we think about last week's message, one of the main points was part of being a disciple of Jesus, following him into salvation as well as into his mission, is looking around you and seeing that you are radically responsible for those around you in your home, church, and world. We're to be a shepherd, and we have to see that each one of us are gifted uniquely. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, just as the human body and all of its parts need one another, so do we. We can't make the mistake of thinking that we are all supposed to be doing the same thing. We have the same purpose, but we are not expected to do the same thing. That's why this Bird Box movie is so enthralling. I haven't seen it yet. Should I watch it? I don't. Yes. I get a yes. I get an eh. Okay. But that's why it's so enthralling. Like, take away a key, a key sense. Take away one of your key senses, and, and, and it's disorienting and, and terrifying. And, I mean, just imagine that. You lose functionality to survive. Um, okay, so for right now, I am going to use my, my hands for seeing. I'm going to use my elbow for listening. And I want someone to throw me something not too heavy or breakable or valuable. Seriously. I'm going to catch it with my chest. <laughs> Thank you for whoever did that. Who, who does this belong to? <laughs> awesome. Um, I mean, you get, you get the point, right? Like, we can't say that, like, every... Like, they just don't even look the same, and they don't function the same, and, like, they, some don't move at all. Some people can move their ears. I can't. But, like, they, you know, there's no articulation for me to be, to be able to catch something. There's no eardrums or hand drums if they were for listening. I'm going off the rails. Let's get back here um, for the illustration's sake. But, but, you know, you see the very real picture. We must see the body of Christ this way. We often either judge someone else because they have a different affinity, passion, focus of their life, and, and we think, oh, they're not as convictional as me. Oh, they're not as committed as me because they don't care about what I care about. Or we think that they should be doing it the same way, that we should all be doing the same. And that actually defies the very potential of the church, the body of Christ. I mean, if we all just did the same thing in the same way to the same little thing, then how much of the world and the need would be left unaddressed? So we can't think of it that way. We must see the body of Christ this way. Listen to how Paul put it uh, in, in another pastoral letter to the church in, uh, in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 21. 
uh, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So do you see? We're sheep and we're shepherds. This truth keeps us from thinking too highly or too lowly of ourselves. So you see these two things. I just, that's, if, if we're going to walk away with something today, let's walk away with those two just things ringing in our head. We're sheep and we're shepherds, not too high, not too low, somewhere in the middle, right? Like it's <laughs> we have nothing and we have everything. That was three things, but, but let those combine however you see fit. It keeps us from thinking too highly or too lowly. Look how verse 6 starts. The beginning of verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. This should be a proof text for us in these claims that Paul is making. Paul is saying that, that, that we can have a right view of ourselves and our opportunity as part of the body of Christ because God's grace not only gives us the righteousness of his son, which is our salvation, it's our innocence, our justification, but also our gifts and abilities are a gift of grace. They are in themselves a gift of grace. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a, a host of captives and he gave gifts to them. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So what is grace? Grace is what? It is unmerited favor. It is the, the, the extravagant reward that you have done nothing to deserve. And so we have to see that every gift is a gift of grace. Every gift that God gives is extravagant. It, it, it far exceeds what is appropriate, right? You're like, oh, I don't deserve this. It's like when I was dating uh, Tasha in ninth grade and our anniversary came up and of like months, not years, and, and I gave her a gold bracelet, and she gave me a card, and apparently my gift was extravagant in relation to the status of our relationship that she saw, right? But yeah, like the, the, it got every gift that God gives is extravagant because what do we deserve? What do we? We don't deserve any goodness. Like we sinned against a holy God. So any gift that he gives is extravagant, including the gifts Think about a gift. I mean, so Christmas just came, like the common scene, we're sitting in the family, you know, and we're, and we're giving gifts, and like just picture the moment where, okay, you open your gift, and then you stand up as if you're receiving the Oscar, as if you've done something to earn it. I'd like to thank, you know, my wife who, who, who helped me come across that blog post that was an EDC thing about this everyday carry, you know, and point me to this knife that I wanted, and, you know, and so then I, I told her that I want the knife, and she told her mom and her mom, and then I sent the link to Amber, to her mom, you know, and like, and I'd just really like to thank all of you for, 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 you know, following all the things that I did to give me my gift. And like somehow you give this, you have this perception that you have earned the gift. But that really, that totally eliminates it being a gift at all because as soon as a gift is based on earning, it is a transaction. It is not a gift. And God's work of grace is always 
a gift. It's absurd to think anything else. All that we have is a gift of grace. Because of this, when we think about what we have, we can, we can neither be arrogant about the gifts that we have, the gifts and abilities that we have, nor can we be insecure or feel insignificant because of the gifts that we've been given. Because every one of them are an extravagant gift of God. Every one of them. Contextually, this is probably at the heart of what Paul was addressing to the church in Rome. There were some who were allowing certain gifts to place them in positions of power and prestige and leveraging undue influence and control. So contextually, this is probably what Paul's addressing. And, and unfortunately, we do the same. I mean, this, this spot right here is often looked at as the most valuable gift, and we, and we covet it, and we're often not validated if we don't get here. But that, again, is a fallacy. Again, it's important just as we all are because we all have one purpose. We have to see that each of us are, are gifted to what we have so we can be a part of working as the family of God for his purpose. Paul is saying that all are equal because all are necessary. And God's mission collectively is our concern over any individual uh, success or expression. Our measure of success is, has to be in seeing God glorified, right? Seeing him glorified through the church, the people of God, being built up. And be clear on that. Make sure that doesn't fly through. When I say, like, the church being built up, we are talking about the people of God. Not some entity, not some brand, not some platform. The church is God's people who were once sinners and are now saints, Made, in, made so in Christ and have been set apart for his holy purpose. So our success is seeing God glorified the church, the people of God being built up in the world through this, encountering the redeeming, extravagant grace of Jesus Christ. So we have to have a right view of ourselves, and we have that when we realize that we belong to one another because we belong to Jesus by faith through God's great work of grace, and that all, all are necessary for his purpose to be achieved. Paul continues to reinforce his point by listing some of the gifts given and how we are each to use them as they were given to us, not to someone else. I often get in conversations of people telling me like what I should be doing and and, and I, some, maybe this, you know, I don't, can't always guarantee my motives, but my response often is something to the effect of, like, you need to live out your calling and I need to live out mine, right? Like, and that doesn't, again, that, maybe that's a follow-up conversation. But again, the idea is, like, to each as we've been given, live, live under this. And this is what we see here in Romans 12, the second part of 6 through 8. So he says, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We can say this, this is not an exhaustive list of that, of that which God gives, uh, the gifts he gives. In fact, none of the lists that we see in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and verse 28, Ephesians 4, um, that we just kind of read, um, none of those lists are exhaustive, um, but, and, and, but they're 
again, meant to point us to our understanding and, and, and uh, how, how we should, what we should expect and how we should live. And I, and I know you probably want me to go into each one of these gifts um, and kind of break them down and define them, um, but, but for the sake of, of time and maybe even encouraging some, some sharing of this journey outside of this space, we're going to focus on what Paul is focusing on this text and so I, I would love, and I'm available to discuss any of these gifts mentioned here in those other texts uh, with you if you like. Um, also, please don't think I'm the only one who can do that. Uh, talk to your group leaders, or if you're in a kind of already in a discipling relationship or what we call huddles, let this is great, something great to focus on. Uh, please do so. Also, we have a great uh, one-week study on spiritual gifts um, that could be a great help to you. And so if you want to and I would recommend you, again, not do that by yourself, but do it with maybe your huddle or another discipling relationship. There is much to be said and much to be gained from studying them specifically, which we'll say again in a second. But just now is not the time. So I, I will say that you can see all of these. Um, you can look at all of these passages and see them that, that the gifts given kind of fit into three basic categories. We see the speaking gifts of prophecy, teaching, exhorting. And, and knowledge of the word. We see leading gifts, governing, administering, administration, and, and wisdom. Um, and then we see the serving gifts, which there's a lot of them, giving, mercy, hospitality, miracles, uh, tongues and their interpretation, uh, healing. And, and, and we would see that like miracles, tongues of interpretation and healing can also be categorized as kind of the sign gifts. But we see that they were meant to build up serving gifts. So, I, so again, I hope that this reinforces once again that these gifts are not for ourselves, but for the building up and the ministering to others. So you also need to notice that there are needs, that there are needs that only require one specific gift and other needs that require a combination of gifts. And that's important, again, coming back to the things that we just get distracted by of thinking, I'm doing this all alone. No, nobody cares about what I care about, or they're they don't care as much as I do, or they're not committed as much as I do, or I wish I could be doing that with them, or whatever. Like, we, we have to understand that there are just quite naturally things that they, they don't need all the gifts. And so we think about how we engage gospel mission as a people. There are some things that are better for one to do, um, just very, like in those very personal relationships, um, or, or more kind of sensitive situations. There are, there are some that are better for some to do thinking of like our transformation groups and how we engage things, and some that's better for all to do, where we just need all hands on deck. And so again, let's, let's soberly and, and rightly um, be prayerful to that end and allow God to lead us in unity in that with much grace towards one another. So if we want to use our gifts rightly, it's important that we discover them. So I want to close with how we discern our gifts and grow in them. So first, um, looking, uh, we should start with just self examination. Just self-examination. Um, you are a human and you think in human ways and God works in through normal means and so that's okay to start there. It's okay just to kind of think about yourself and, and kind of ask yourself some good questions. Ask questions like, what do I enjoy? What, ne you know, what needs draw my attention? What gets me excited? What makes me angry, right? What problems do I most notice? Um, what am I good at, right? Um, what, what do people often ask me to help them with, right? Because you can think you're good at something and you find yourself that your people keep asking you with the same general thing. It probably means you're, you're good at that. It probably means you have something unique about you in that area. Um, and so, again, think about that. Or just ask others 
what they see in you. And if you want this to be really rich, study through the, the, the biblical presentation of the gifts, and then from God's perspective, guided by the Holy Spirit, speak from that end to, to as other, what other people see in you. Remember, sober judgment, a right view from verse 3. It is not, self, it is not a self-defined life, but a Christ-defined life that will help us understand and pursue this well. So first is self-examination. Second is to be active while you learn. And one of the things we tell our transformation group leaders all the time is to learn while you lead. You know, you get to, and that's a, that's a freedom as well as a charge. Learn while you lead. And there's such a great gift that God showed us in the way that Jesus led his disciples that he, set, he sent them out before they were totally ready and they made mistakes and he came back and with grace he taught them. We get to do the same thing. And so as you're discovering gifts, verse 6, you know, it says to, to use them. So we want to let we, we want to let them, use, we want to let each other use our gifts in, in, in a gracious environment. And you learn your gifts by doing ministry. In the spiritual sense, like in, in thinking about the Holy Spirit giving gifts, you learn them by doing his work. You really don't know what you have until you start doing things. I mean, some of the best advice I ever gave, I was ever given, not gave, I have given it since because it was so good to me. But when I was uh, in, in college and feeling called out to ministry, one of my mentors at the time, Kerry Hudson, he's like, well, he's like, because I was like, I'm called, but I don't know what to. And he's like, well, like, well, he asked me some of those questions, like, what do you care about? What makes you angry? What are you drawn to? Just start getting your feet wet in all of those areas and see what the Lord ignites, see what the Lord develops, see what he raises up. And so really, it's, it's just get out there, get active, and learn while you're doing and the Lord will reveal to you these giftings. And so that, that was such good advice. I want to encourage you to that. Areas to look at, again, home, church, and world. Are you leading your home, serving your home in this way? Do you look at the body of Christ as the family of God? And do you look at the world as your opportunity and who is your responsibility? Our growing as a disciple of Jesus involves learning to serve. And, learning, and in learning to serve, you grow in your understanding of your gifts. And so don't think of serving on Sundays or doing service projects or volunteering with organizations. It's just about you helping someone or you doing something good. It is actually part of your discipleship. It's actually part of your being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus because you learn you, 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 you align with Jesus as he said, I poured myself out. It's just that posture of pouring out and you discover the uniqueness of how he has created you and gifted you. So again, um, do that and enjoy learning as you are active, and there's a lot of grace as you do it. You don't have to be a professional. And then we've already talked about this some, but third is study the biblical list. We have to be a people rooted in the word. Um, to, to just to give you a little freebie, um, with the, the, pro like the prophecy gives us this, this um, the teaching of prophecy when he just said, um, uh, if prophecy in proportion to your faith, that, that's a good guy for all of it. We have to see this word proportion is kind of an analogy of, and it's saying in accordance to the faith worked in you, in accordance to the faith given by God. And so we have to, uh, we have to root our understanding in the word because we have to say that our conviction and our understanding and our expressing lines up with God's given truth of his revelation, his revealed truth in the word. 
And so be in the word. Study these. Again, if you, if you miss the references, come and ask me. I'll give them to you. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. Um, do it together. Ask for the study. Get in the word. Be anchored. Be rooted. It's not just how you feel about something or what you think is true. That's truth. And then lastly, and kind of in line with getting out there and just learning while you're going, is also just continue to use them. Again, verse 6 says, use it. Verse 6 through 8 is the picture of this, of doing it, right? Of doing doing the work of the gifts you've been given. So once we've identified a gifting, we're to use it uh, in service of others in the church, our homes, and world. God gives us gifts as he chooses. And we're not to say, I'd like a different one. Can I, can I send this back? Can I change? Can I, can I exchange? Or I want to use my gift in a different way. It's like if you've been given, if you've been given mercy, do it cheerfully. Like do it in the manner of mercy, of God's mercy. Again, so it's use the gift you've been given as it has been given to you. Part of living as a sacrifice to God, coming back, back to the exhortation we see in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, is to give over our abilities and gifts to God. Surrender them to him daily and to be used in his service. We'll only do this joyfully as we keep his mercies to us in view. So grace is a merited favor. Mercy is not receiving the consequence, the punishment that we deserve. And we don't have to because it was placed on Jesus. So last thought to summarize, we are sheep and we're shepherds. All are necessary. Being transformed means that we ourselves, seeing ourselves as God does. Not higher or lower than we ought to. And this is all because of what Jesus has done, what he has made us for, and who he's made us into. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for this humbling and emboldening truth today. Lord, that, that, that we are sinners in need of a Savior unworthy of any gift. But because of you, your love, and who you are, you have made us worthy, moved by compassion. And because of what you have accomplished in, the, in us, we have an honorable purpose. You've made us each uniquely. You've gifted us uniquely for the sake of the health of the body of Christ and for the sake of your redeeming work in Jesus being made known and accomplished in this world. So, Lord, as only you can, Lord, we ask that you would work this truth in us. We pray that you would liberate us from the need to be important, liberate us from the fear of, of not being enough, and all that because of Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.